Well, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 and put a finger on verse 22. And I want to show you this first command that is other-centered, externally focused. Again, we've seen several commands. They've, 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 they've so far have been directed towards ourselves, things we're to do to our mind, to our actions, uh, a personal focus. But here now, Peter brings to our attention the first command that is directed towards others. And so to walk you through this command and see how it happens and how it's sourced, how it's sustained, I want to take you to our lab today. We did this last week, but I think it's the best method again this week for us to fully understand what's going on. So 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25, follow along with me, have your journals there. It should be week 9 or week 10. We're going to be looking at what the good news is and what the good news does. It's answered here in this first verse. Notice with me that here's the command. Let's just go right to it. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Notice that. Will you say that phrase with me, church? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is the first command in 1 Peter that's um, focused outwardly. You can track this and look at the previous 21 verses, and you'll see we've been told to set our minds, to be holy, uh, to conduct ourselves fearfully. There's a number of commands we've been given that kind of direct themselves to us. But here now, it seems that Peter is saying, when all of that's in place, here's how it shows up first. And so this imperative is to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, let me show you something quite intriguing, because you may be thinking, well, Todd, it seems like he's kind of repetitive. Like, doesn't he say prior to that, they already had a sincere brotherly love? He did say that, you're right. But notice a very intriguing element in this text that you would not gather just perhaps from an English reading. The words here, brotherly love, it's the words phileo, it's where we get the word Philadelphia or the name of the city, Philadelphia, which is the city of what? And so this is the word phileo, Whereas this word is the word agape. He's contrasting human, horizontal, brotherly love, friendly love, kindness, which there's nothing wrong with that. But he's saying you already have this. Notice the past tense participle here. You purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. In other words, they knew they were to love each other. And so, so they did this. It was through God's power it was his saving grace. I mean, the, the text prior to this no doubt took its effect upon them, and there was a, a sense of love that was horizontal, friendly, natural. But now Peter is saying something very unique. He's saying, I want you to go to a new level of love. And I don't want you to love just in a human way. I want you to love in a divine way. I don't want you to love just naturally. I want you to love sacrificially. And so it moves from a past participle to a present imperative. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's an overwhelming command because I think a lot of us, I think myself included, live on the plane of Philadelphia love. And the Lord's calling us, as he did these initial readers in the first century, to move beyond natural human friendship love to sacrificial divine agape love. And the church says what? Amen. We may say, oh, me at this point. This is a high bar, but it is nonetheless God's word to us today. 
Now notice how he describes this kind of love. He said it's an earnest love. The word there simply means continuous or eager, like you're ready to get after it. And then he says this love is pure. It means unmixed, unadulterated, unpolluted. This is a hard kind of love to have. In a humorous way, I'll just share with you, I did experience some mixed love on Friday. I was meeting with some pastors. I'm in a cohort. I lead this cohort actually on, on preaching. And so for a few months, I'm just meeting with them and helping them with their preaching. And they're helping me with my preaching. One of the pastors in there from Marshalltown, he brings a t-shirt for everyone. He actually brought two t-shirts. And he said, hey, here's one for you, one for your wife. He had asked our sizes the week before, I think the month before. And so he's passing them out. Well, hey, man, thanks. He said, hey, I love you guys. And we said, man, we love you too. This is fantastic. He says, oh, oh, also, I had a lot of extra merch I had to get rid of. <laughs> I think they're getting new T-shirts. So I said to him, I said, man, you're going to be a great illustration for my sermon in two days. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, 90% you, you love us, but there's a small polluted factor in there that you had to get rid of some merchandise, right? And we laughed. He said, use it, Todd, no problem. Now, we laugh about that. It's humorous. But do you, do you get the point that often it's difficult to love with, with unpolluted, unadulterated, unmixed motives? Because it seems like a lot of times we do have a hook in our love, don't we? Peter here, through the Holy Spirit, is calling upon us to move beyond natural love and move to eager, continuous, unpolluted, divine love. I love when I see this in our body. A lot of you know Jim and Chris Parley. When they moved to their town home a few years ago, they didn't know it then, but they found out they moved next to a former pastor and his wife. And so they began to get to know them. And I would say probably most weeks over the last several years. They've either walked that couple's dog, cleaned their house, brought them food. And this has been helpful because the former pastor, he's got Parkinson's with dementia and she has Alzheimer's. And Chris and Jim didn't know them. There's not a contract. They're not on the dime. They literally just know here's two people who are in our spiritual family and we expect nothing in return. We will simply love you like Jesus loved us. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And it happens week after week after week. One of our moms came to me last week right in this section. And she had helped one of our members a few weeks ago just process her husband's death. She went every week for about eight weeks to help with the uh, husband's feeding. It was Monty Ballard. And Carol, of course, you know them. And there was some help needing towards the end of his life. He had ALS. And she uh, offered and said, I'll be happy to go by and help. I have a flexible job. I can do that. And so Carrie just went by for a number of weeks and helped. And, and she came to me last week and said, Todd, the Lord's gift to me in that way. I love helping. Is there someone else that I can help? And she's, with, with tears in her eyes, she's asking, who can I serve next? She's not getting paid for it. It's not like she's expecting anything. She honestly just wants to love people who have sincere needs. Don't you love it when you see that happening in our body? And I know there's other pockets of that. There's other portraits of that. 
I'm praying that God will do that in my life and in your life, that we will move up the love spectrum. You know, Paul said something very similar to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Look how he encouraged this young pastor. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.5 that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. One translation says the end of the commandment is love from a pure heart. In other words, when all is said and done, you get to the end of everything that God has said, what should it look like? Love from a pure heart. And so this is what Peter's calling us to. I hope you hear this and are under the weight of this. This is no light word to us today. And so the question we ask when we see this is, I'm miles away. We know it's in order. We know it's right. But Todd, how in the world does this happen? And I'm so glad you asked that question because the text answers it for us. This is why we just preach verse by verse, unfolding the Bible. Look what he says next. He says, since you have been born again. Man, is your heart now suddenly exhaling? Because previously we're holding our breath like, I hope I can do that. I hope I can love purely and continuously and eagerly, sacrificially. We'll see. Jury's still out, right? And suddenly we read what Peter says is the cause of this. It's being born again. It's being brought to life by Jesus Christ by God the Father, through the Spirit of God. Now, I like the way Peter uses his word again. This is the second time he's used born again. The last time was in verse 3 when he says that we bless God because he has caused us to be born again. And so Peter, in verse 3, makes sure that we're eliminated from the equation. Travis brought this to our attention when he preached on that text beautifully, that this is a This is an operation by God. And so Peter here again is affirming that. The reason that I can call you to a new level of love, out of natural love to sacrificial love, is because you have a, 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 a sacrificial love to look at and to accept. You have a divine love in you through God and by God and from God. And so you can love in this way because you have been loved in this way. You have been born again by God. This is not a matter of physical determination. This is a matter of a spiritual operation. And there's no way anyone in this church, myself, you, our elders and deacons, could ever seek to obey verse 22 if we have not experienced verse 23. It it shows me. That, that really what's happening here is God's work in being born again causes our work. You see, this is what sets Christianity apart. There is an internal work first, and then there are external works. Every other system of belief, every other religious system starts the opposite. They say, do external works with the hope that you can change the internal part of you. Christianity says the exact opposite and is the only one who says, no, trust that God will change your heart first and then let that produce the works. And our works don't earn us anything. It's not by our merit, but God's mercy. This is why Paul would say in Philippians, what do he say? It's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so here he's speaking specifically of loving each other sacrificially. Now, notice something about this 
thought of Peter's that we can love externally because God has done something in us internally. And watch this verse from Paul, which echoes a very similar thought. First Thessalonians 4. Now, I'm very intrigued by this. We often overlook this. But I love the way this really points us in the right direction regarding how we learn to love each other. Paul said this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by, say it, church, God to love one another. Agape there. Guess who's mentoring you in loving each other? Say it with me. God. Now, I don't know quite how he does that. I'm sure it's through his word. I'm sure it's through his spirit. It's through his church. So there's probably a number of ways. But have you ever noticed that perhaps you're like me, you tend to buy books, hear podcasts on loving each other. I'm not saying those can't be used, but Paul's point here is much like, much like, much like Peter's. He's saying that the root of it, the first thing is that God is doing it in you. And so I want to turn your attention this morning to making sure that you ask yourself this question. Could the reason be that you're not loving other people in the church sacrificially, divinely, eagerly, continuously, and purely? Could the reason be that you're not seeking that level of love is because you've not been born again? That for you, it's just a treadmill. It's trying to do better in your own strength and trying to have a better natural love so others will think better of you. That's kind of a hook. That's a polluting agent. In other words, you've always got an end game you're working. And that will always stay that way until God works his work in you. When he works his work in you and you're born again, you're saved, you move from eternal death to eternal life, you can't love super. Uh, sacrificially, supernaturally. But once God does his work, you can begin to pursue that in his strength. So do you see the first word, external? In fact, in your journals, you ought to write the word external over verse 22. And then over verse 23, you should write the word internal. Here's the cause of the effect. And what Paul, excuse me, what Peter does next is begins to amplify and modify how we're born again, because I think that's the next natural question. Okay, Todd, I'm called to this incredible standard of loving each other sacrificially, divinely, with God-like love. It seems impossible, but now I know it's not impossible because God's loved me that way and has birthed me to his family. Okay, so here's the cause, here's the effect. How is someone born again? That's another great question. And the text answers it as well by saying this, we are born again, look at this, through the living and abiding word of God. Now, he calls this perish, excuse me, he says it's not perishable seed, so we'll put an X through that. The word of God is not perishable. It doesn't die or fade, it is imperishable. Put a check mark by that. Peter here describes the word of God as living, abiding, and imperishable. And he calls it seed. Now, I believe that the word seed here is referring to the word of God. 
I can walk you through grammatically why I think that's true. I'd rather just simply appeal to you anecdotally and tell you that I think Peter's thinking of when Jesus shared his parables. You know, Peter was with Jesus. And do you recall that one of the parables was about the sower who went out to sow? And he sowed seed in all kinds of soils. And then the disciples didn't understand it. So they said to Jesus later, hey, can you explain to us the parable of the sower and the seed? And one of the first things Jesus says in his explanation is this, the seed is the word of God. Matthew 13, look it up. So I'm convinced personally that what Peter here is remembering is the, is the word of Jesus. Like he called the word of God the seed. It's living, it's abiding, it never dies. That's the agent, the avenue through which we're born again. Now the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to bring us to life. So he's not saying this is the, uh, he's not saying the other things that aren't mentioned aren't part of the process. We know God uses the word. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers the word. All those things are true. He's simply focusing here on the agent, the avenue. That's why he uses the word through. And what he's saying is this. Listen very carefully. This is very important information. He's saying that without the word of God, you cannot be saved. Romans 10, 17 says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of, say it with me, church, Christ. So it takes the word of Christ, the news, the information, the, the truth about Christ, that he lived, died, was buried, and rose again, that he took your place, that on the cross, Jesus was the substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world, 1 John chapter 3. That's the information. That's the truth. And when someone believes that truth, that word about Christ, that he took our place, that he's God's one and only son, he was God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life, fulfilled all of God's requirements, died in our place, and was raised from the dead, that that body of truth, when believed, that, that activates the, uh, the, the supernatural new birth. That's the Spirit of God at worth to bring someone into the faith family. And that's what Peter's describing here, is the Word of God being heard, being realized, being believed, and then when they do, God using that as the means, the avenue, the agent by which they are birthed or born again. In fact, he continues on in the next verse talking about this eternality, this, this um, foreverness of God's word. Look what he says. He compares it, first of all, to uh, grass and flowers, saying they wither and they fall. And then notice the contrasting word here, but, in other words, something's different than like grass and flowers and human flesh. They all die. But this living, abiding, imperishable seed, the word of God, he calls it here the word of the Lord, synonymous term to word of God used earlier. It said, church, remains forever. So Peter here is really emphasizing the eternality, and I would say even the centrality of God's word in the new birth. And I think there is a, a I'll tell you the main point in a minute, but I think there's a second point here. If, if God's word remains forever, it's imperishable, it lasts, it never dies, then your salvation will never die. There's a real strong second 
kind of angle here that eternal security is a real thing. You will not one day be unsaved because the Word of God's uh, failed to do its job. It lasts forever. It's the agent through which God saves you, and it will be what God uses to keep you saved. His Spirit seals you. His Word has saved you. Rest in that. It's God's Word, not your Word. He's birthed you. You didn't birth yourself. And so there's a real point here of saying, hey, this, just as God's word lasts forever, his salvation lasts forever. I like how Peter here again says this word. So look, word is the word of the Lord. You can look backwards where it's called the word of God. He calls it the good news. That's the word gospel there. And it says it was preached to you. So Peter's saying, you heard the gospel, the truth about Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. It's God's word. It never dies. It's the seed. That's how you were born again. So if you ever wonder if it matters that people hear the word of God, if you ever wonder if it really makes a difference if folks hear the gospel, read the gospel, see the gospel, I think the, the loud answer should be, for sure it matters. Because people aren't saved without the gospel being preached to them. That could be written, could be heard, I get that. But you, you see the point of the text. No one is just saved on like blank information. We'll rehearse this again at Easter. On Good Friday and Easter, we're gonna talk about the, the gospel, how it's of first importance. We're gonna look at gospel content and gospel contact. And we're gonna make this point again that, there, that no one is saved without both. There is a gospel content, you have to believe, and that content has to come in contact with you. It's not just some like, you know, osmosis thing or some by proxy thing. And so when we think about nations and areas and, and languages who have no copy of the word of God, places they've never heard the name of Jesus, it is of vital importance that, that we make those areas a priority for our church. It doesn't mean that need doesn't exist here. It does. Let's address need everywhere, but let's make it a priority to try to... Uh, to invade, can we call it that? Can we, can we make it a point to get into areas where there's very little access and there's no copy of God's word? There's no gospel yet? Because that's how people are saved, through the word of God. And when that weighs on you, when that truth blankets you and you actually feel the, the, the reality of it, that until they hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. You'll probably languish in just current cultural Christianity, but when that truth lays and weighs on you, you'll begin to relinquish resources more to see the gospel get to the ends of the earth. Three words I've asked you to remember. External. Something's coming from us to others. It's sacrificial, eager, continuous, unpolluted love. Whew, who can do that? God's people can because the internal work of God. He's birthed them. They've been born again. Well, how did that happen? Through the word of God, the eternal word of God. So internal produces the external and the eternal produces the internal. You follow me there? You can say it how you want to, back it up, go forwards. Three words to kind of keep in mind today. There's an external effect with an internal cause and an eternal means. 
That's why I don't want you to be burdened by this command. You know, John did tell us that his commands are not burdensome. Why? Because we're not left to our own devices or cleverness to try to fulfill verse 22, loving in this, in this new way. We can trust that God's new birth in our life will gradually get us there and it will last and hold because the word that saved us lasts and holds. In fact, I think that's really the main connection. I wondered for a few days, like, how, how does this fit? How does this command to love one another earnestly from a pure heart really fit Peter's emphasis upon, like, the eternality of God's word? Like, what's the connection? And what I sense from the text, and I think is legitimate both grammatically and even just uh, textually, is this. Peter's saying this new way of love, this new level of love, this new call, it's produced in us in an in, a, in an everlasting way, if I can say it that way, in a, in, a, in a way that won't die because of what produced it. It's the word of God that brought it to pass. The word of God has birthed us and given us this new love. So just as the word of God doesn't die, our love for other people doesn't die. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that helpful? Isn't that edifying? To know that you're not left to your own devices. You're not left to your own strength, your own treadmill, your own hard and tight grip to, you know, make it. It's God's work in you produced by his eternal word that will allow you then enable you to love others in the same fashion. I love these four verses because they're aimed at probably the one thing that most of us find very hard to do. Love others earnestly from a pure heart. But it's possible for those who have been born again by the living, abiding, eternal word of God. I hope two things are happening right now in the room. I hope, first of all, those who are not a Christian, who've yet to believe the truth about Jesus, the body of content that's called the gospel, I hope you're thinking, wow, if that's the answer to loving, I want that. You're thinking of all the places in your life where you've got a hook in this and a hook in that, and it's polluted. You're thinking, there's actually a love that I can, can experience and can exhibit that's pure. Yeah, it's the love of God for you that turns into the love of God from you. Your heart's crying out now. Give me that love. You know, God wants to give you that love. He has in his son, Jesus. It's seen beautifully on the cross when Jesus died for you. And the New Testament now simply says this, that for all who believe in Jesus Christ, you will experience that love personally through the gift of eternal life. And if right now in this room, your heart's saying, I want that love, I would just urge you, right where you're seated, even with your eyes open, just say this to God. Say, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your only son and that he portrayed perfectly your love for mankind. I accept Jesus as the only way to be forgiven of my sin. God, give me that love through your son, Jesus. Save me today, God, through Jesus. And God will do that. He will save you. He will help you personally understand, know, and experience his love. I think for the Christian here, I hope this again just repeats what we said last week, that the more of the word of God you get in you, the more you will love like God. 
Perhaps the reason that some of us aren't loving very well in this new kind of way at this new level is that we just have really avoided interaction and time with God's word. But don't forget, it's the eternal word of God that does its work in us, which is to earnestly love others from a pure heart. So let's just devour scripture, give our life to the Bible. Let's read all we can of God's word and let it do its work. This is what Paul uh, told the believers at Thessalonica about the word of God, that it will do its job. Look what he said in chapter two, verse 13. I love this verse. In fact, this is my favorite verse in all the Bible. It's hard to make that kind of choice. I'm sure you have the same difficulty. But if I had to pick one verse, this is my favorite verse in all the Bible. I can remember the day that this verse really just kind of flooded my soul. I was probably ninth or 10th grade. And my sister's here. She'll remember this place. I was at the round kitchen table on Mayfair Avenue. And I was just reading my Bible, uh, probably to be frank with you, more out of roteness than anything. Like it's kind of what we did. Um, and this verse just jumped off the page and into my life. And I remember thinking, I felt God called me to preach before this. And I remember thinking, that's what I want to give my life to. That's what I want to do. I'm going to bring the word of God to people because that's what changes us. In fact, will you read this verse with me? And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You know what's gonna help you love others earnestly from a pure heart? The word of God. It will work in you. And so to the believer here, man, continue to daily immerse yourself in God's word. Well, I've got to wrap this up quickly here. Let me do so. Let me show you just visually a chart that could kind of summarize a lot of what I said this morning. Kind of a flow chart of the four verses. I won't read through all this. I'll just uh, let you see a quick pick of it. Uh, maybe send a picture of it. If you want it, just email me, text me. I'll make sure you get a copy of it. It's pretty basic. You can probably already draw this out yourself. The three main words, external, internal, and eternal. Notice one's a result, one's a cause, one's the means. What I want you to see is that one refers to obedience to God. One is about our salvation by God, and that comes through the gospel of God. One refers to the love of God to others. One's about the work of God in me, and then it comes through the word of God to me. I don't mean by that that the word of God can be anything you want it to be to you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, oh, the word of God means this to me. No, the Word of God means one thing. I'm saying, though, when the Word of God is brought to you and you receive it and get under its authority, it begins to work in you to the point that you can actually love other people earnestly from a pure heart. Proof positive, the Word of God does its job. So if I took this text and this chart and just put it into one simple sentence, here's really what I'd say to you this morning. The gospel or God's word, they're both used synonymously in this text, by the way. It's called the good news, the word, the word of the Lord, the word of God. So all those things are synonymous. The gospel or God's word is the means by which God initially and continually changes us, enabling us to love one another. He refers to how the new birth is brought about by God's word, but he says it's the new birth that enables you to actually love at a whole new level. And so there's an initial change and there's a progressive change. Church, this is great news because it means the changes, the difference 
is not up to you in one sense. Now, there's effort and, and there's a, a pursuing, yes. But producing the fuel for that is not your responsibility. God does that and he did that through his love for you. And that's how he birthed you as that was revealed in the word of God and the life of Christ. And so to all who are born again by the eternal word of God, guess what? You can love earnestly other people from a pure heart. Man, that's great news that we're not on our own or left to wander. Man, hallelujah. You see, I'm grinning when I say that because I think you and I both know intuitively that loving one another earnestly from a pure heart is just plain difficult. <laughs> You're afraid to grin right now, but I think you could be and should be. I mean, marriages, they're difficult sometimes. Relationships are often hard. Working together, it can be a struggle. Friendships, they can get messy. Could someone amen the last four lines? <laughs> I mean, am I the only guy thinking that in this room? Thank you, Perry, right? I, mean, I know folks have been in this church for 17 years since the day we started, and the things that they and I have worked through has not been easy at times. And they've loved me with an earnest, eager, continuous, pure love. And I've been trying to love them that way. I, I just think that's a work of the Lord. There's folks who've been in this church just for a few years. They've asked for this or that, and, and for some reason it just didn't go like they wanted to go. And they're still here. They're loving without a hook, even when they didn't get their way. Other folks, it went differently. They... they they saw a lot of progress and a lot of traction, a lot of affirmation. They didn't run either. They stayed put. I mean, there's just, a, in the church, I've said this for years, in the church, you need a thousand forgivenesses to oil the wheels. What does the Bible say? That love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, I, I think sometimes we read these verses and we think, oh, that's so good, you know, in the sweet by and by. The truth is, this is a verse we need because this is very difficult in the trenches of real life. Loving earnestly is just plain hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. This is why we must be born again. And we must just devour the word of God because that's what changes us so that we can do what seems like the impossible. So I'm gonna ask you to actually do this with me now. We're gonna read part of God's word which works effectively in us. We're gonna read a section that talks about God's love for us. And I'm gonna ask that you let this just blanket you so that it begins to change how you love other people. Let's put this into practice now. Let's hear the word of God and let it do its work in us, even to the point of loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. Would you stand with me? And together out loud, we're gonna read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Together, church. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, 
Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.